He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Lexington, Kentucky, here's Bruno DiGiulio. And welcome. This is Bruno with Racing with Bruno podcast. And guess what? We've got a couple of really cool customers that are going to come on board, and they're from thehorsebills.com. And I want you to hear what they have to say. Bob Ike, a longtime handicapper in Southern California. Mark Dosh, handicapper. And now they own this business that helps owners overall. And let me tell you something. I would not be surprised if my boy Joe, the Husky, makes some kind of cameo. Because he's been really quiet today. And in the last 10 minutes, I have seen proof of life. So... Do not be surprised if there's any things in the background that you go, what the heck's he doing? I'm going to be staying in one spot and one spot alone. That's what I've learned with my boy Joe. Dogs love him. I love my my boy. So let's get on to – and then we're going to bring on Ron and we're going to talk some some other stuff. But let's bring on these guys. Let me find the boys. Where are they? I got – my old friend Bob Ike and my good buddy Mark Dosh from out in California. They run the equine accounting platform called horsebills.com. We're going to talk to them about that. Uh, and we're going to talk about California racing. And I'm really interested in getting Mark's and Bob uh, ideas on, on how California racing is doing. And and Bob is obviously, I've known Bob since 1988, and we go way back to the press box. So let me welcome in Mark Dosh and Bob Ike. Hey, guys. Bruno, how are you doing? Good to be on. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming out and, and spending a little bit of time with us. And um, let me go first to, uh, to Bob. Bob, tell me a little bit about... Um, your experiences in the last few years in California, uh, you're, you're, one of the, you're one of the best handicappers that come out of California. You've always been a, a lover of this game. Um, has it been tough the last few years? Uh, how, how do you feel about it? I do. It's been, uh, it's been a struggle, uh, particularly, you know, the last year and a half or so. Um, I mean, I think we've seen over the last, couple decades a slow decline in california as far as the horse population and you know trying to keep the numbers up and the the business up the on track but you know we really got hit hard with the problems at santa anita geez going back i guess it's been over a year now um with you know the the number of fatalities the animal rights people jumped all over it track was shut down for a while and then, you know, more recently with the whole COVID thing and, and another shutdown. So it's been a struggle. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure how healthy the game is out here, but I will say it's, I think racing's done a very good job over the last few months of adapting to the situation. Uh, it's a sport that is made for simulcasting. And in that regard, I think it's been a positive. You see the handle numbers. Um, every track that's got back up and running and been able to maintain. So from that end of it, I, I'm optimistic, 
we'll see what happens when we open up again, you know, and get the country back open and fans on, you know, allowed to go to the racetrack. Um, we're going to see, but I think we're always going to have the battle out here for horse population. And that, and that's, you know, with the small fields and such is, is been the toughest part out here in Southern California. Let's go to Mark and, and Mark Dosh was on board here with, uh, racing with Brown way back when, way back when we were first starting out and he did a great job for us and he went on to bigger and better things. And one of them was throwing out there a, lifeline for horse play for um for owners mark welcome to the show horsebills.com first of all how have you been how have you been dealing with the new normal and tell us a little bit how you and bob developed horse bills yeah so the new normal has not been a whole lot of a change for us i mean building horsebills.com and my other businesses we i've always worked from home so um, that's pretty much been status quo, been having the kids in the house a lot more, but now school started and, and they're off at different houses with pods and doing their schoolwork. So we have a little bit of peace and quiet, but, um, <laughs> as far as how horse bills got started, um, when we first hooked up about 12 years ago, I think was when I was starting to get more involved in the industry. And shortly thereafter, I started owning pieces of horses, um, you know, small pieces of a few different horses, and paying the bills was receiving bills in the, in the mail via snail mail and writing paper checks out to pay them. And that was, those, those were the only bills that I paid that way. Um, everything else was being done online. And so after a few years, the, the wheel started turning in my head about a better way to do business in the racing industry. Um, I wrote a business plan and Bob and I had become friends just by hanging out in the press box. Um, I had been doing the work with you with handicapping and some other work on my own with different kinds of video blogs and handicapping blogs. So I was, was part of the media and Bob and I had become friends. I, I wrote the business plan. It struck a chord with him. Um, he saw the potential having been involved with a syndicate and, and the bills coming into that syndicate. So um, it, it's been a, a labor of love now for the past six years or so starting from scratch and pretty much a two-man team. Uh, lots of hard work and lean years of getting up and running, but uh, we've built a solid business that we've been able to make a living off of. We've got a very strong core of clients that's growing steadily, um, you know, month in and month out. And the, satisfi the satisfying part of it is that we know that once people get on board, they're with us pretty much for life, and our customer retention is very high. And we get positive feedback uh, all around, even you know, unsolicited positive feedback. And we know what we've built works. And now we just need to continue plugging along and getting more of the industry on board because we know we know it works, and we know that we have a viable product that people in this industry need. And I can totally concur and 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 be it a, a uh, witness to that because um, we have I've I have what, one trainer that uses horse bills. And it's so easy to get your bills paid. And and I'd like to see a little bit more purse money's come in. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that uh, uh, didn't happen. But um, but it's, it's a really a wonderful site. Um, I'm going to take advantage of, it, uh, advantage of it as much as I can uh, with, with our own partnerships. And if I ever do the billing, I'm definitely going. So anybody who's, uh, who's a trainer or an owner 
and uh, would like to find out more, they can go to horsebills.com, and, um, and they can also reach out to Mark Dosh. Mark, do you want to quickly tell them maybe how to get a hold of you before we get into anything else? Yeah, so you can reach me at mark at horsebills.com. That's M-A-R-C at horsebills.com. Or you can call us at 888-938-4643. Uh, like you said, trainers and owners, but also anyone else that's involved in billing the horse, whether that might be the vets, horse haulers, farriers, you, you name it, all the different providers that work with the vets. The system works most efficiently with the more, more people that are using it, um, and that's what we're striving to get to. Let me ask Bruno, let me just throw in one more thing on that is, and I think what you're talking about is sort of a syndicate manager role. When uh, we see so many partnerships now and fractional ownership, um, I, I deal with a number of accounts, kind of sort of my responsibility on this end of it is that I deal with some syndicates and some big ones, slam dunk racing uh, being one of them. And they have, you know, 40 horses and, and we're entering bills. We're, doing profit and loss for them, distributions, and it's just, um, it's invaluable for those syndicates to be able to not only record their bills, but also bill out their partners. So it's sort of a hybrid that works both ways. And I, I believe, um, you know, as good as our product is in my heart, I, I think the syndicate function is, is maybe the highlight of, of what we do. Um, it's really, really good. I stumbled on it and I called Mark over to, during the week and I go, you mean I can put all my partners in here and I can keep track of every one of my partnerships? And he said, yeah. Haven't you looked at the site? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> yes, I did. But uh, I, I love the site and uh, I, I highly recommend go and check it out. Horsebills.com. Uh, these guys are not only are they, you know, great guys, but they know the game inside out so they can really help you out. Now, speaking of the game inside out, boys, um, Bob, you and I go back to basically 1988 uh, or even earlier in the press box. We were spoiled with the jockey colony that we had back then. Um, can you compare the jockey colony now in California to back then at all? No, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest, in a word, no, <laughs> not close. Um, I think we have one great rider out here. I mean, I think the more I see of Flavian Pratt, I, I think he's a hall of famer, uh, in waiting. He is just tremendous. He could have ridden with anybody in any era. Uh, I believe if he went back East, he'd be the leading rider back there as well. Um, it looks like Umberto Rispoli has a lot of potential. Uh, he's ridden the turf extremely well, so he looks solid. Um, yeah, you got dogs too, huh, Bruno? Oh, yeah. Well, Joe was just saying that Umberto Rispoli is a uh, paisano. Yes, and uh, a good one. <laughs> yes. So I, yeah, I you know, and I think, I think Pratt is great. I think Rispoli is very good. Um, and then I think there's a big, big drop off after that. So um, I'm, I'm not going to tout the depth of our jockey colony out here. Um, it's, it's not what it was when, 
you know, in the heyday when we had about five or six or seven Hall of Famers riding every day out here. That was amazing, wasn't it? McCarron, Delahousse, Gary Stevens, Lafitte Pinkai. Uh, who am I? Lo- who am I missing? Uh, Fernando Toro, yeah, Shoemaker, uh, P-Val, Shoemaker, I mean, Gerald McHard was. He uh, was just yeah. It was it was a great colony. Yeah, you know, and and now you you know, and I, and I'll be honest. When I play New York, it's so hard to get away from Irad and Jose, and um and and that it's kind of ruined the game a little bit. I believe, you know, not their talent, but they just dominate. And for a horse player. It's you have to put you have to put uh, I have to tell you this quick story. This dog is a husky. He's 10 months old. His name is Joe. He is incredibly in tune when I do a podcast and he I, I did one with Mark Toothaker and he did everything he could to get my attention, including biting me at the back of my heels, uh, chewing up a uh, he's a puppy uh, chewing up a plastic uh, cover. Uh, he did everything, and, and nobody heard anything in the background as I tried to get away from him, him nipping at my heels. It must have been one of the sights that I wish I had a recording of, you know, just to watch me trying to tiptoe and not make a sound on the air. But so he's kind of gotten in that kind of mood today. But um, the one thing that, that, I, that, I, that I miss, Bob, is sort of the camaraderie in the press box. And sometimes you wanted to throw somebody out, you know, but um, – the, 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 the one thing that's missing now is that whole camaraderie. We had a lot of fun up there. Uh, and, and, Mark, you got to come along a little later. But when you had the Bob Mazurskis and Jack Carlix and Jerry Antonucci and you had Brad Free and Steve Anderson, uh, yeah, Coco making our food, you know, even Lafitte Pinkai, uh, the, the, the second, or is it the third? Is it, uh, I, I always forget. The third, yeah. The third. Um, he was a press box steward for a little while. Um, and so it, it, the characters that came and who can forget, though, Julio, Julio Canani, who came up all the time. Those were days that I'll always cherish. And, um, you know, of course, running into you, you didn't you, you stood you, you were down below me on the press box. When you stood up, I could see out of eye with you. So um, <laughs> it was kind of fun. And Mark, you came along a little later. Um, do you miss that camaraderie a bit of the press box and the Santa Anita the way it used to be? Yeah, you know, for me, I, I kind of came in, you know, a lot later than you guys. I was I was the young buck up there, um, and I had fun being in the mix. And on the, on the big days when the press box was full, it was always fun to to have everyone in there and uh, just kind of get everyone's opinion. People from out of town. And, and, in the press box, you know, all the TV personalities. Um, so it was definitely something that I enjoyed. My, my passions for a, a long time had been media and sports media. So it was good to get, to get that exposure um, for, for a brief amount of time. Uh, you know, on normal days, it was, it was empty and uh, it was a little bit depressing. Um, but, you know, on those big days, it was fun. And I, I enjoyed being in that mix. That was the difference when Mark came along and when, when we first started, Bruno. Um, a big day in Mark's era was like an everyday day when, when we were there in the 80s. I mean, there would be 10 or 15 just regular sports writers. They'd take a day off or come out, out you know, half a day. There was Alan Malamud, all the other columnists. Jim Healy used to be out there. As you mentioned, Julio was a constant character. Um, so, 
you know, it was, it was just a lot of fun. I, you know, I'm probably sounding like an old fart now and things are probably more fun in your twenties and thirties, but I could not wait to get to the track every single day. I couldn't wait yeah. to get out there. It was yeah. so much fun to be around and, and the, the camaraderie, the competitiveness, the, you know, putting tickets to group tickets together. There was just a buzz every day and, um, it was, it was a lot of fun. So that part is definitely missing. Uh, you go up there now, even when we're allowed to, to go in the press box, you know, there, there's a handful of people. So like Mark said, the atmosphere on a day to day basis is just pretty, pretty much not there anymore, but, um, there was definitely uh, a lot of fun back in the heyday. <laughs> You're taking me back down the memory lane with, you know, with the, I, I need, need a brandy, you know, uh, with Jack Harlick and you'd have Jeff Siegel making that walk all the way across, you know, to talk to somebody about a troubled trip and you would have Jerry Antonucci. And my favorite was you, Bob Ike, especially at Del Mar. <laughs> sitting outside on that balcony and you knew who Bob had because if he was about to get run down, you would hear, no! <laughs> There's a lot of those, a lot of that torture. It still, it still goes on. You know, it, it, I, it was, I don't... It was great. I, Come on, Bob. I don't, I don't destroy my binoculars the way I used to and kick trash cans <laughs> and so I have sort of mellowed, but... Uh, it's still a gut punch to, to lose a tough one. It was such, and, and I used to remember Steve Anderson getting no, no rooting in the press box, you know, things. And, you know, but that to me was, uh, it, I felt bad for you, but at the same time, it was just hilarious. All of a sudden you would hear this deep voice with a no coming out on that balcony. And we would have that balcony full at Del Mar. Uh, and and, and that, that was a lot of fun. And that's part of a mark. This is the part of the game that I think racing really misses the point when they promote it. I, I believe this game is more promotable from a camaraderie standpoint than than it is about, oh, you, you know, we picked a hunch play or something like that. Yeah, I think a lot of I think racing has tried that a little bit with what America's Best Racing has done and made it a party of sorts with the drinking aspect and the um, camaraderie aspect and the hats and all that. And I definitely think that's a part of it. And um, especially on big days, uh, you want to have that. But at the end of the day, I think we need to focus more on the game of being a gambling game. Uh, the gambling dollars is what makes the industry work. And we need to appeal more to gamblers um, that are not horse players and do a lot of things to help them uh, entice them to become horse players. And at the same time to keep the horse players that we have happy currently uh, instead of the, the, a lot of the policies with takeout and other things that drive people away from being horse players. And even people that stick around and continue to play the horses complain and are unhappy with, um, how they're perceived as being treated. And, you know, these kind of, you know, those are start, those remarks that I've made, I just made, have been issues in the industry for a long time. You know, since, since I got into it, um, you know, 12 years ago, and I'm sure, I'm sure before that. And it just, it seems like it falls on deaf ears year after year, and there's not a whole lot of progress made. 
And whether it's progress in that regard or progress in other aspects of the sport um, with what we're trying to do with horse bills and a lot of other things that we can go on and on and, and talk about. It just seems that horse, horse racing is uh, behind the eight ball as far as trying to make changes for the better um, changes that I've seen appear to be so obvious for so many people, but for whatever reason, they're just, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen. Let me follow up with that, with that. I, I, I think you made some great points. If we appoint, if Bob and I had the power to appoint you right now, Mark, as the czar of racing, the king of racing, you can make all the rules. What would be the first thing you would change? Well, that's, uh, that is a very broad question, and uh, it's difficult. Uh, I touched on takeout a bit. I think the takeout is important to try and bring in new betters. I think the industry is short-sighted in thinking that if they lower takeout, they're going to lower their overall haul um, and not, not thinking long-term that if you lower takeout, you'll increase the handle and in turn increase your revenues. Um, another thing with handle, which has been more evident now than ever with all, with the, the amount of betting being done on ADWs is the deals that the tracks have made with these ADWs while, while the racing industry struggles and these tracks struggle, these ADWs are raking the money in right now. Uh, with the majority of the handle being driven through there. So there needs to be an equitable split between the product that the tracks are putting on and the handle uh, or the, uh, the split that the ADWs are getting. Um, so that, I think that that's one big thing. And like I said, with, with the, the gambling dollars is what drives the industry. So until they get that right, it's going to be hard to shore up a lot of the other issues that we're facing. Um, additionally, obviously, the, the, the drug issue is is a perpetual issue that i don't think will ever go away uh with what happened with service and navarro i think it's twofold i think it was good in a sense that it's it were able to weed out some of the cheaters but it was also bad in a sense that it made it very obvious that cheating exists Uh, whether people wanted to have their head in the sand or not before now we know that it exists and when you see things that are abnormal um, it, it's not, it's not, uh, your, your gut is generally telling you the right, the right, leaves you the right way. So when you see things that don't make any sense, now we know for sure, we, we know for a fact now that there are things going on, um, that are illegal and that need to be caught. And it's not an easy task. I mean, other sports have faced similar tasks, uh, similar issues with drugs and not being able to catch the cheaters. And right now I think we have that problem and it, it occurs at the highest, the highest end of the game. And everyone, in, or not everyone, but a large majority of people in the industry complain about it and bark about it, and nothing changes. And the, the, the people that are perceived as cheating continue on their merry way and, and continue to win, and nothing changes. What I found to be most disappointing uh, with the Jason Service and, and Jorge Navarro indictments and arrests was the fact that it took the FBI to come in and the racing jurisdictions or the racing uh, the powers that be were not anywhere to be seen as initiating other than the jockey club who went ahead and hired a company to look into this uh, and to look into the, into the uh, performance-enhancing drugs. Bob, um, did that bother you that, that tracks themselves weren't really policing this and it had to be the FBI and the federal government that came in and said, no, 
we're you know we've got the, we've got these surveillances and we're gonna and these two and these individuals have broken the law. Yeah, but not I mean not surprising really. I mean I think uh, as Mark talked about, just the nature of this game has been uh, slow to change, sort of head in the sand a lot of times about a lot of different issues. Um, probably uh, short shorthanded, maybe without funds. So that part didn't surprise me that, that it wasn't, uh, you know, ruled on or found by the tracks and it took, took a bigger agency. Uh, one other thing I would add on to what Mark talked about, and, and I know this is probably, you know, spitting in the wind because it's not going to go away, but this batch betting, the computer betting guys, I think it's hurting, it's hurting the game. And I know the handle's tremendous and you don't want to turn away that business. But when you see the way odds drops, drop on horses, some of these pick six tickets that are hit, you know, with like last weekend, 60 some thousand dollar ticket, you're hurting, uh, I believe the integrity of the game and you're hurting the, the average guy who thinks he's got a chance. Um, what I would do on this batch betting stuff is cut off betting one minute before post or as the first horse loads in the gate and then let that last cycle of bets come through and you know what you're getting at least. And, you know, not, not at the half mile or the quarter pole, all of a sudden a horse goes from six to one to four to one. That, that's, it's just not right. It's, it makes it very, very difficult to even play in the wind pools at this point because you've got to figure out what are the double will pays? What are the pick three will pays? Who's actually going to go favored in this race? Because you don't know a minute or two before post and all that late money comes in and changes everything. I don't, I don't like it at all. I wish there's something can be done about that. And a lot of that, uh, Bob, is not really smart money. Uh, all that is is players that put millions of dollars through the windows strictly for the rebate. All they right. want to do is break even. And let's explain it to folks out there. I get that question a lot. This is the way I understand it. And, and both of you gentlemen, please chime in. And let me know if if I'm, I'm looking at it correctly. So the computer players, their entire aim is to put as much money as they can through the windows and play enough combinations to break even and be able to collect the rebate at the end of the month. That, is, for example, if they pay play twelve million dollars, their rebate is going to be pretty close to about 800000 to a $1 million. If they break even, all of a sudden, then they're going to be able to make a nice profit on the rebate. Do I have it right? Stand it, yes. I, I think so. I mean, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure how it all works. I definitely think that's part of it. Uh, another part of it, which is related to what we're talking about, is the deal with these pick sixes being hit at Del Mar and how these guys are pulling off what they're doing. And, um, my, my fear is that somehow they have access to knowing what combinations are unplayed and they're, they're punching these huge amounts of tickets, playing around all these, all the combinations that are uncovered. And if that's the case, I mean, I think that that crosses the line from having a computer that can give you an advantage by doing things that an individual can't, which is maybe hard to regulate, but if there's some way where they're being able to figure out 
what the combinations are, then that, that to me, that makes it criminal. And whatever's going on is, is really a disservice that needs to be stopped. And I mean, I, I think at this point it's happened twice in the last couple of weeks. And if the tracks or whoever, I mean, it has to be the tracks, there's no other regulating body can't figure out what's going on. Then we really have a major problem because um, if, if they know the open combinations, then, you know, that's not cool. And, and that's, def- that's something that it should not be happening. Yeah, I think Mark raises a great point there because these guys have access, direct access to the tote. Exactly, exactly. They can get get tons of bets in in the last couple minutes where, you know, the average guy can't do that. We we can't do that even if we're playing online. You know how you have to punch in your, your plays, but I think Mark has a great point there. If, in fact, they have access to knowing the open combinations of, of rolling bets, then that does border on criminal. Absolutely. And you're right. There, some tracks allow them to go right into the tote board because they're going to make all the money instead of them going through an ADW. They make all the money they can offer the rebate. Now, what, what really kind of... If you really watch, um, um, I, I have a couple of different ADWs. One of them is AM Wager. And AM Wager, I can actually watch the money in, the, in each pool come in uh, real time. And I've watched Gulfstream. And I can tell you that more than 50% of the handle and exactus comes in right before the horses, uh, right before the betting stops. I mean, it goes from 100 to 250 to 300,000 within seconds, right before, well within the zero minutes to post, which I think it has something to do with that zero minutes to post. Um, So uh, you guys are right. You're absolutely spot on. I I, I don't know if it's criminal. I don't know my laws as far as that's concerned from state to state, but it it is bothersome as a handicapper, when I look up and my horse that I liked at five to one goes off at four to one. Uh, so, and, and that's, and that's a big problem. Uh, we brought up the fact, and Bob, I'm going to pose you the same question that I posed to, to Mark. If Mark and I had the superpowers to make you the Zara racing, what would be the first thing you changed? Well, I think Mark mentioned it. The first thing I would play around with is takeout rate. I would I would try to lower it and find the the optimal level that creates you know the most handle uh, for the racetrack, and I think it's too high right now. Um, I don't know what the number is. I've read a lot of studies and economists, and you know they seem to think somewhere around fourteen or fifteen percent is the right number to uh, optimize profits and handle for everybody, and. Um, Honestly, that would be my number one priority. I mean, you look at some of these takeouts on, uh, you know, uh, say a trifecta at a certain track can be over 20 to 25%. That's insanity. Um, The other thing as, as a player that I don't like at all are these jackpot pick sixes, uh, you know, especially that was my next 20 20 cent increments. Um, they're, they're horrendous bets for the average guy. If you do the math and you do the, do the takeout, what's, what is taken in, what's distributed on a daily basis, it's about a 
45, 46% takeout. I mean, if you have any respect for money at all, how, how are you playing these pools other than the days where it's a mandatory payout? So to me, they've ruined the pick six. I used to like to play the pick six. I liked it when it was a $2 bet. I liked it when there was a carryover and I liked it when there were consolation payouts, but I only play the pick six now with these, you know, crazy jackpots on mandatory payout days. So instead of playing the bet maybe two or three times a week, I'm playing it two or three times a year. It's, you know, it's a huge difference. You bring up those, uh, that was my next point, the jackpot pick sixes. I don't play them very much at all. Even if there's a mandatory payout, I, I might play a very, very small ticket. But let me be devil's advocate to both of you. Mark, if you're going to sell this game to a, to a player and he's new, how does explaining to him about the takeout entice him to get in the game? Well, unfortunately, at this you know, how it's worked for, for, for forever is that you don't want to explain it to him. You don't want them to know what the takeout is. You want to hide it. <laughs> if, they're savvy, <laughs> if they're savvy enough to understand takeout, you're already, you got a, you got a hurdle that you got to cross already. Uh, that being said, I think for any gambler, whether they're a novice or they're more experienced, the ultimate selling point with horse racing is that you can bet a little to win a lot. Um, and you have, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty to one shots that are that win races every day. And if you're playing sports, um, to find an underdog that wins outright that's, you know, at ten or fifteen to one is very rare. Um, so you can bet a little to win a lot. Uh, whether you know, we're we're not fans of the jackpot bet, but the fifty cent pick five, which has come around in the last few years, with a low takeout rate. The, the opportunity to, it's not a jackpot wager at most tracks. You have a 50 cent increment and the, you can, you can bet a little and, and you can win a substantial amount. Um, and that bet has become very popular across the country. I mean, the, the late pick five at Del Mar is handling, I think a million dollars on, on weekends now, which is, which is pretty remarkable. Um, so that's going to be, I think that's going to be horse racing's biggest, biggest advantage when you're trying to sell a handicapper is you can bet a little to win a lot. And you can actually use your brain to, to try and figure out the handicapping puzzle, which at the end of the day, we all like to win money. And that's, that's a big rush and obviously a big part of why we do what we do. But almost as much as the satisfaction of just knowing that you connected the dots and, and you outsmarted everybody else and you were able to figure out the handicapping puzzle for that sequence or for whatever bet that you're putting in. The one thing that I always felt that the tracks missed, missed, missed the boat on is uh, me, uh, you, Bob, you, Mark. How many people that we brought into the game? How many people that we introduced the game to that turned into fans and turned into handicappers? We, the horse players, we, the racehorse owners, we, the breeders, how many people do we bring in the game? And I think racing as a general, I think even the NTRA, completely misses the boat because they could entice us to bring new people in, entice us with perks, with small things that mean something to us that we then would bring people in. And I think overall, that, and I believe this for 20 years, that I think the racetracks 
completely missed the boat on. Completely missed that misusing their best tools at the racetrack, and that is the horse player and the race fan that goes there. Like Bob said, we couldn't wait to get to the track. How many times do you bring friends, Bob? Mark? Many times, you know, and, and, you know, I remember when Hollywood Park had the Friday night racing, when that was kind of a novelty and I, people would always want to go out, we'd have a good time. Um, you, you have to give them a good experience. You have to, you know, in my opinion, you have to give them affordable food and beverage, um, which some tracks do and some tracks don't, you know, I mean, we were at Keeneland, Mark and I went back there and, uh, last fall and had a weekend and, and couldn't have had a better time. I thought it was so well run and I, I thought everything was affordable and the hospitality was great. And, you know, you go to other places and you feel like you're getting gouged. So, um, you got to give them a good experience once you get them there. And, you know, may, you know, I, I think a lot of programs forms, uh, everything that you, all the tools you need, you know, you're out, you're out, quite a bit of money before you uh, ever really get started playing the races. So um, give them a good experience, give them hospitality, give them affordable uh, pricing and people will come back. People naturally love horse racing. And we've seen it during this pandemic where other sports are shut down and what happened? Racing got a big uptick because the gambler wanted something to watch, something to gamble on. TV ratings went up. The gambling dollars have gone up on the simulcast betting. So uh, it's it's a sport that people are attracted to. And, you know, despite all the mismanagement over the years, here we are still surviving. And it's got to be the greatest game in the world. And, Mark, was that your first time at Keeneland? It was the first time for the races. We had gone back a couple of years prior for the September yearling sale. Um, so I had been familiar with the grounds, but, it, you know, the grounds are awesome. The racing was awesome. The town is great. Uh, so it's, it's places like that in Saratoga where horse racing is the lifeblood of the area are places. Those places for us as, as horse racing fans are awesome. Um, I, you know, being a Southern California native for me, San Anita and Delmar are places that I love, but it's just a different, it's a different vibe because in the, the, you know, the areas of Los Angeles and even, San Diego horse racing is not really on anyone's radar for the most part. Um, but you go to these other places and it's all about horse racing. So, so that's pretty cool. I, I live in Frankfurt, which is uh, the capital of Kentucky and it's um, 20 minutes from Keeneland and 40 minutes from Churchill. And, um, I, I will tell you, I moved out here in 2011 and I, I Keeneland, there's still a magical thing about Keeneland. Uh, when you hear that call to the post or when you go into the paddock and I'm glad I know you guys were here. I'm, I'm sorry I missed you when you guys uh, came into town. But, Bob, I think that was your first time uh, for the races, too. You had been here for the sales, correct? Yeah, right. That's exactly right. And um, just, you know, so glad we got a chance to get back there. Uh, Mark and I have done Saratoga twice now, which uh, is fantastic. We want to we want to get to Oakland, which is another hub of you know a racing town, and um, that seems like a lot of fun. But weren't able to do it this year with the the, the way the world is. But uh, hopefully next year when we get through this, um, 
you know, we like to get out on the road a little bit and try to push our product to the horsemen face to face, which is always a good way to do it. So, uh, yeah, one of the, one of the great things about starting this business with Mark is we've, we've traveled a fair bit and we've seen a lot of tracks that, you know, we may not have seen. We went to parks and we went to uh, Monmouth and we, you know, we were, we've been to a lot of different places, put a lot of miles on and uh, that's been a lot of fun. Have you guys been over to Remington Park? Have not. No, no, not yet. I got a chance to stop there on my trip across the, the country in 2010. And uh, that was a neat little track. I really liked it a lot, especially the uh, the video board on the infield on top of a, of a trailer with a basketball court behind it. <laughs> I thought that was great. That was great. But uh, Remington Park is an interesting track to go to. Um, and Oaklawn, you guys need to get to Oaklawn. There isn't that many restaurants to go to, but everybody ends up at the same place. It's like the Red Tractons. You end up in Red Tractons uh-huh. at Del Mar. Everybody's there. Everybody's at the same place. And uh, I really, really enjoyed Oaklawn when I went there about three years ago, and it was very affordable, good people. I hope you guys get to go. Get a good horse. Buy a good horse with Slam Dunk. And uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to go there and their purses are pretty good as well. So, um, but um, I want to, before I let you go, I can hear my, the listeners already asking me, you got two handicappers on the show. Can you guys each give me some ideas of some angles uh, that you use when you handicap that, that I, that's one of the biggest, most free, it's a very, it, it's a question that I get. 90% of the time from handicappers, what's your angle? So, Bob, I'll start with you. What's your angle? Don't really have one angle. I mean, I look at a couple things. Um, I try to watch a lot of videos. So, you know, trips are a big part of, of what I look at. Um, one of my favorite trip angles that I think is underrated is horse brakes slow, rushes, so obviously has good speed maybe tires in the mid stretch finishes off the board. To me, when you see a horse that's running by other horses, kind of like they're standing still, um, has ability, you know, now maybe it's going to be a bad gate horse every time yet. That, that's the risk, but, um, that's an angle that I really look for brake slow rush and tire. And another angle I always like is route to sprint route speed, cutting back to, you know, six and a half or seven furlongs used to love it on the downhill turf course horses that would shorten up at Santa Anita from a route race to the, uh, downhill turf, I thought was a great angle. So I like route speed shortening up to sprints. Uh, I think it's a pretty powerful angle. So those are a couple of my favorites. Mark probably has some other ones. Mark. Yeah, I think Bob, uh, Bob did me a favor because he knows my he knows my favorite angle and he didn't he didn't take it away from me. But uh, for me, they, my favorite angle is uh, the lone speed angle. Um, I think that's the most powerful angle in racing. Where if you have a horse that's going to be on the front end by itself, um, a lot of times you're going to see you can get rewarded at a price just because the horse gets brave on the lead. Now that being said, and I don't I don't play. Saratoga as much as a lot of other people, but I found at Saratoga the lone speed angle is not very effective for I think for a couple of different reasons. I think those races, especially on the grass, play a lot differently. 
and for whatever reason the loan speed um, doesn't doesn't hold as well. And additionally, it seems to me that a, that a loan speed on paper at Saratoga very rarely ends up materializing that way. So uh, I don't know why that is, except for maybe the jockeys are, are playing some games, but um, it, for whatever reason, it, it doesn't work out there um, in New York. Uh, another one of my favorite angles is a significant rider upgrade. Um, horses that have been with lesser riders, and now all of a sudden you see a top rider aboard, um, you can see dramatic turns of form. Uh, there was a good example over the weekend at Del Mar, a horse that had been ridden by Brice Blanc, I think, eight times in a row, had very modest form. Um, Rispoli took over, and the horse won easy by almost three lengths and paid, I think, seven to one. Um, so the, the Brice Blanc off angle and, and other jockeys that, that aren't uh, the upper echelon riders, um, when you get a, a better rider aboard, you can see dramatic differences in, in results. Do either one of you gentlemen use a, a handicap differently for each individual track or circuit? Mark? Um, I think you do. Uh, I think for me, and, and because you do, it, you have to have a lot of time if you're going to play different circuits. Um, and that being said, I don't have as much time to put into it. And so I, I primarily focus on California Southern California, a little bit Northern California. I mean, on big days, I'll dabble other tracks, or if, if I if, if I get a chance and I'm watching the races, I might play a race here or there. But to really dive in and and follow a circuit and and put good money behind it, I think you need to be in tune with what's going on. A lot of it is feel, and if you're watching the races from a, from a certain track and, and you're you just kind of have a feel for what's going on and you have that intuition. Um, where you just kind of know things and you see things and you kind of just have a flow. Uh, so that's very important. And it's, it's from, from, it's hard to, it's hard to describe it for people that don't understand, but there is definitely a difference from, from track to track and circuit to circuit that you need to get into that flow of understanding what's going on. I think to have the most success because it's seeing what other people don't see and, and having those, those feelings that, that can separate you from finding the right horse and, and making a big score um, where it's not going to be evident to others, and it's a, it's easier to pick up on that kind of stuff if you're in tune with what's going on. That's a that, that's a really good strong point. Um, the one thing that I that I hear from a lot of players, uh, California players, feel the same way you do, Mark. But uh, uh, people outside of California on the East Coast are I seem to be more adapt. Uh, they adapt more to to having different tracks. It's kind of an interesting part of the game that I learned when I came out on the East Coast. Now, Bob, do you, um, I know you were strictly a California guy. Have you ventured outside the California to play? A little more. Um, you know, when we were five days a week here, I thought one track, Southern California, was plenty. Um, I was never really good at um, trying to play multiple tracks. I think Mark summed it up it's just it's time consuming i'm sort of a grinder um i like to know one circuit i like to know the the trips and any kind of track bias and stuff like that and i just couldn't do it on multiple tracks and feel like i was you know really any good at it um but you know with us having less racing days in california with the shutdowns that we've had periodically here i have ventured out a little more i was looking at gulfstream um 
you know, for for a fair, fairly serious plays uh, earlier in the year. I like to look at Saratoga, not that I put a ton of time into it, but um, I'm still, you know, my focus is still when I play at Southern California, um, you know, the business now with horse bills has become the, the thing that takes up my time. So, you know, I, I don't handicap the way I used to and have the time to do it the way I used to. I just put out my sheet on the weekends and, and really kind of try to focus on the weekend cards. So uh, when I do dabble, I, I'm kind of like Mark, maybe on the big days, of course, I want to play the Derby card and I want to play the Travers card and stuff like that. But um, it's not with the same seriousness that, that I'm trying to play Southern California. Guys, I really appreciate you guys coming on. I really like could talk to you all day about handicapping. You know, we could go on and on and on. Um, but I want to give you an opportunity, both of you. Uh, one, uh, I want to make sure you guys give a shout out to your horsebills.com. Tell us again, a little bit about what you do and how you do it and, uh, get a little last word in on racing as we go in into the Kentucky Derby in September. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, Mark's the CEO and Mark's the, Mark's the brainchild behind it. So, uh, he, he's, he's the best spokesman for our product. Well, I appreciate that. I think that we we are, we are always trying to get more and more people on board. And when that happens, they always give us positive feedback. But at the same time, we need to also be very appreciative for the people, our clients that we have had on board that have put their faith in us from the beginning. Um, there's obviously a leap of faith that needs to be taken in anything that's that's new and different. And that's a big reason why people are resistant to change. But we, we do have a very elaborate group of clients that have put their faith in us and made that jump. And we're very appreciative to them. Uh, without them, we couldn't have gotten to where we are. We couldn't have gotten to prove, prove our, our ideas. And um, we're forever grateful to, to their loyalty and to their willing to give us a shot. Um, there's a long list of them. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and, and rattle them off, but if you follow us on Twitter, or on Facebook, you, you can get an idea of who we work with. And um, hopefully they continue to be happy clients and we can get more on board. Bob? Uh, ditto. You know, um, it was a concept. We took Mark's idea and six years in the making, you know, from building the site from scratch to working basically for free for a few years, you know, I mean, with very little money taken out of the business, everything that we we're able to generate, we put it back in and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, sometimes we're tough and stressful. Um, we work hard at it. We give great customer service. I mean, you know, sometimes we'll be emailing people at 10 o'clock at night or, or returning texts or phone calls. So, you know, we're a little bit crazy that way. We are a two man operation. Maybe we can add on to that in the future going forward, but um, if you're with us, you're going to get uh, a lot of attention and you're going to get a lot of customer service. So we're, we're proud of that. And, um, you know, we, we were here for the long run. We hope racing can thrive, make some sort of a comeback. Um, we've been very fortunate that even despite the problems in Southern California, we have been able to retain our clients and they've been able to weather this storm. So uh, we're very hopeful that can continue and that we can continue to get other clients from around the country on these other circuits. So 
uh, we appreciate being on Bruno and uh, always good talking to you and it's been too long. I'll, uh, we'll look forward to having a beer at some point. Oh, absolutely. And I'm going to leave you guys with this. We're just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> Little inside joke between Bob and I, uh, and thanks you guys for coming on board. I hope to see you soon. All right, Bruno. All right, thank you. Good. Thank you. I want to thank Bob Ike and Mark Dosh for coming on board and talking about their 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 fantastic horsebills.com. Check it out. It's it's worth your time if you uh, if you work in, if you have horses and or you're a trainer or you're an owner uh, or you're part of a syndicate. It's a great great tool to have uh, at your fingertips. Let me bring in from Las Vegas. Yes. Ron Flatter. Hey, hey. What was, going, up, what was going on in the background there? I can't, I half expected you to be opening a, a, a can of food and <laughs> no. start a pneumatic wrench. I thought you were going to do a combination cooking show and car repair clinic all at once there for a while. Well, no. It was a 75-pound, 10-month-old husky named Joe who decided that he is going to play and I am his toy in the middle, uh, and I don't know when he's going to do that. Uh, some most of the time, he's down downstairs in the garage in his kennel sleeping. I would suggest Today, he should have known that he was going to do that about the time you bought him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I'm sitting up here, and all of a sudden, he brings me his ball, and he wants me to throw it. So I throw it, and he runs off. And he usually does it a couple of times, and then he gets bored, and he goes downstairs. He did it the entire interview. And at that time, it's too late for me to move him down to his kennel because that's going to sound even worse. And then he gets mad and he's going to he wants to go out and it's raining and he's jumping into the window, into the glass window. He's jumping with his body, you know, into the window. So that's what you might have heard. So no pneumatic wrenches. No pneumatic wrenches, but it was like that scene in There's Something About Mary where Ben Stiller shows up at the house and then he's wrestling with the gentle dog. (laughs) Literally. And then, and when I sat down trying to ignore him, because if I ignore him, sometimes I don't look at him. That's the worst thing. (laughs) Oh, he started started on the back of my heels. Um, He started going after. Um, And and it's just, it's... Listen, if I had a video while I do the show here, you should do this podcast. Maybe you should and him behind me, him doing the stuff that he does. I think I think we we, we would be millionaires because <laughs> well. and now and now and now he's by the window with his head down on the ground looking at me going, what's up? You know, maybe <laughs> so, we should change the name and, of this to Racing with Joe. Uh, you know. A lot of people have kind of brought that up, so uh, I don't know about that. But I got good news. Yes, sir. I got great news. I always got great news. Um, besides Joe stealing the show today, I think he's tired now. He wants to go to bed. Um, we're going to have next Sunday a new Zoom class. Um, and um, so you might want to RSVP for next Sunday. And... Um, and of course, we're going to offer uh, the webinar with the Kentucky Oaks and Derby, where you can actually we can actually go over the card. <laughs> that was I think Joe. Did you like that? 
Joe, you like that? You like the webinar? Joe's into uh, an Oaks and Derby webinar, ladies uh, and gentlemen. Yes, he is. And, you know, he makes his appearances, too. He, the other day, he took his head up on, 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 on the table like, hi, everybody. So, uh, uh, but anyway, um, so we're going to have the webinar for, for the Derby and the Oaks. And we're going to get all of that straightened out. It's a, it's a package, fifty nine ninety five. You get both days, full cards, the same product you always get. But you get a way to get in. And uh, <laughs> he's still at it. Uh, the way to get in and uh, to be able to get into the, to the webinar and be able to uh, see, see me live. And maybe Joe. And hopefully uh, Joe. And, yeah. He's a lot cuter, I'll tell you that. You know, but uh, uh, for anybody that that has had to go through the pandemic, uh, this whole <laughs> this whole last few months, and <laughs> yeah, there he is, John. <laughs> um, I couldn't have gone through this these whole few months without him, well, and I he knows that. it. Uh, you know, I, I I'll tell you, he's been. He's been such a, a great welcome addition. Listen, him and I were sitting in the car for three months clocking at Keeneland together. In the car with me for hours, watching horses go around, and, you know, man's best friend. Come on. Does he get along, in all seriousness, does he get along with horses? Yeah. You know, today we were at the park because I get back from, from Churchill. I, the first thing I do is I take him out for a nice, and we got some great parks here in Kentucky. And there's a park where there are actually horses that people ride their horses. And he saw them and he ran over to the fence and he followed them looking at him like those are big dogs, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh yeah, he's he's quite a character. He is he's a very lovable, good soul uh dog and he just like I say, I I'll tell you. I mean, he's been all over me for the last hour and I apologize for the noises in the background. But I just don't see where I need to stick him in a kennel and let him sit there do nothing. Uh, Here's my recommendation. This is my recommendation. Carpet. Yes. Carpet. A muzzle? No, carpet. Then then all that that noise is muffled. I'm serious. You don't don't have pets, do you? You don't have pets, do you? Did years ago. Did years ago, but yes. you, but the steps, all the steps. That's that's half the noise, and then you, it's muffled. Then you're fine. Ron, pets and carpet don't get along. Well, depends on the pet. Yeah, you got a big dog. That, you're probably yeah, yeah. You got a bigger dog. That probably wouldn't be. A yeah, good we thing. have hardwood floors, and that's what you were hearing. So, yeah. but uh, but no, I'm glad people got a little bit of an insight of what goes on when I'm when when I'm trying to do things, and a lot of the times he has to be involved. Um, and pretty much he's involved with everything, um, you know, with what we do. And uh, one of them is clocking. If he only had thumbs, he'd be a great clocker. That'd be me. great. That'd be great. Yeah. But come on board to our Zooms. They're free. Um, I really love to see you, get to, get to know you. We don't get a chance to do this. We all live scattered across the country. You know, I don't get to see Ron. I got to get my buddy Ron on those, on those, uh, on those Zooms. But um, we don't get a chance to get a beer together and, and rejoice that camarader- com- camaraderie that I was talking with Bob and Mark. Um, and this is one way to do it. So I hope to see you get on board for our Breeders' Cup, uh, excuse me, our Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks webinars. And, and we're going to do that for Breeders' Cup, too. 
I think there's a lot of things going on right now. We've got some great podcasts for you to listen to. The Greg Foley and his son, Travis Foley, uh, the numbers were incredible overnight um, as far as people listening to. Um, Jason Barkley's, I've had a lot of comments on that. They love the Nick Zito. I hope you're enjoying these. And if you have any suggestions, and Ron, if you have any suggestions, we'll talk about it and uh, we'll get them on the air. Get more from Bruno by going to RacingWithBruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.